0: not left us in the dark concerning his will for our lives and the whole bible speaks to that will of god for us but it's summarized for us in the ten commandments which god spake all these words saying i am the lord thy god which have brought thee out of the land of egypt out of the house of bondage thou shalt have no other gods before me unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, Thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Shall we now respond? Our scripture reading in this morning's service is from the book of Genesis and the 35th chapter, Genesis 35. We will read verses 1 through 21. Genesis 35. The theme for the conference over the last few days was the family in the eyes of God and This morning's topic is particularly the family with a heart for God, and though this family starts in a bad place, we'll see in the course of this section that the Lord draws their heart to himself. So, Genesis 35, and God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar, And called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin, and Rachel died was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave until this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. Thus far a reading of God's sacred word. May he bless his truth to our hearts and lives. Dear congregation, it is not easy to hold on to dreams. Children, maybe you've had a dream one night, and when you woke up, you thought, I have to tell my parents this dream. And maybe some hours went by, and you had to really scratch your head and say, What was that dream? It's not easy to hold on to dreams. This is true in everyday life as well. When you're young, maybe you dream. And maybe you dreamt of of owning your own business or making it uh, high in this or that area of work. And yet, as time goes on and the hardships of life and the challenges and difficulties of life uh, come upon you, you lose your dream. Young people often dream about having a wonderful marriage, a great marriage, and yet, once they're married a few years into it, they realize that marriages work. And uh, it happens that they lose over time that dream of having that wonderful marriage. Spiritually, too, we can, when the Lord works in our lives, we can have great visions of what our life will be like. But again, the toll of sin and, and the challenges and the cross providences that come our way can really bring us to a place where we've lost our vision. As we've been speaking these last few days about the family, the same is true in family life. We can have high ideals. We can set out to have a well-ordered, God-honoring family. And yet, over time, that vision, that dream can wane and even be lost So it seems to have been in the life of Jacob and his family. And the Lord had to call Jacob back. And what we see in our text passage here this morning is that the Lord brought Jacob and his family to have once again and to be a family with a heart for God. And this is what we want to focus on with the Lord's help based on this scripture passage. Genesis Thirty-five, verse 1 through 21. I'll read verse 1 once again at this time. God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And what follows in Genesis 35, 1 through 21. Our theme looking to the Lord this morning is a family with a heart for God. We'll see, first of all, that this involves going a God-ordained way. It involves going a God-ordained way. Secondly, it centers on God-honoring worship. And thirdly and lastly, it radiates a God-honoring witness. So, a family with a heart for God, a God-ordained way... A God-honoring worship and a God-honoring witness. Well, Jacob, we all know, was a man who had met with God in a powerful way. First at Bethel, where children, he had gone to sleep one night on the run from his brother, found a stone for a pillow, and he had dreamed this dream, and he had had a vision of God high and lifted up and a ladder on which angels were ascending and descending, a ladder connecting heaven and earth. And it was an amazing vision. And he had said on that occasion, the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And after he had gone then to Paddan and had been married, and after some years he came back, he had had another glorious experience in which... At Peniel, the Lord had gripped him, had taken hold of him, and he had wrestled with the angel there all night. And the angel had touched the hollow of his thigh and had been put out a joint, and Jacob could do nothing else except for to hang on the neck of this man, this angel that fought with him, and plead for blessing. I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he had crossed over the border into the land of promise, and there he had set up his life with his family. And yet, when we read the chapters that come between chapter 32, where he meets God at Peniel, and now chapter 35, there is a lot that is not good. There's a lot that literally... Stinks. That's the word that Jacob himself uses in chapter 34, verse 30. You have the whole incident in chapter 34 in which Jacob's daughter, Dinah, had been taken by Shechem, the heathen prince, and he had raped her. And great trouble had transpired. It was awful, all that was going on in Jacob's household. Jacob's sons had taken revenge on the inhabitants of Shechem in a deceitful way. And all of this is really such a mess that Jacob says, Indeed, ye have troubled me, my sons, to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land. Among the Canaanites and the Parasites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And yet it wasn't just Jacob's sons who were the problem. In fact, in a large part here, Jacob's family is in disarray because Jacob has failed to rule his home well. When you look at all that is happening here between Peniel and our chapter, one commentator says Jacob's whole household has become embroiled in spiritual harlotry. Idols have come into the family in an overwhelming way. We'll read of this here in verse two of our chapter. It's it's a disaster. And yet, congregation, before we point too many fingers at Jacob, let's take a look at ourselves. Is it not true that so-called Christian homes can also look in such disarray? And the culture can look in upon our lives and our homes. Church attending. Christ-professing homes. And... And see a lot that, to use biblical language, stinks. Whereas the Lord has called us to be a salt and light in the world. How sad it is when salt loses its savor. And that's what's happening here in Jacob's life. And yet what a mercy it is that our chapter begins with these words. And God said unto Jacob. God interrupts all that's going on. Even Jacob, as he looks out over his household and all that has happened, all he can do is lament, as it were, in, in, in a hopeless self-pity, just throw up his, his arms. He doesn't take any action other than to complain and lament. It takes God breaking through in his life and in his family for there to come any change. Oh, thank God for sovereign grace and God's people entirely at a loss, entirely in their own self-made trouble when God breaks through. And God says to Jacob, Jacob, go back to Bethel. Go back to that place when I appeared to thee at the first. Go back to that place when I gave you a vision of who I am and who I can be. For a Jacob, for a deceiver, for a sinner like like you. Jacob, it's time to retrace your steps and go back. Remember all the way that God has led you and go back to where he, he met you, to where he appeared to you. It's a remarkable thing that Jacob had promised the Lord actually at Bethel the first time that if the Lord were to bring him back, he would offer a tenth of all to the Lord. He had vowed a vow. And from all indications, he had not kept this. And he had been back in the land for probably, scholars estimate, about ten years without fulfilling his vow before the Lord. Think of that. Jacob, this man who had dealt with God and God had dealt with him and yet His vow, he placed aside. The Lord says, better not to vow than not to pay our vows to Jehovah. But here the Lord in mercy, he comes to Jacob and reminds him of his vow, reminds him of his commitment, brings it back before him. And doesn't the Lord do that also with us? Your wedding vow, husbands, wives, your baptismal vows, Parents, your confession of faith vows. You come to church and God reminds you. Or in some other way, he brings it before you. What you vowed before. Almighty God. What you took upon your lips. How is that in your own life? Go back to Bethel. What an amazing thing it is that God calls his backsliding people back to him. Turn to me, you backsliding people. Or like he says in Revelation 2 to the church of Ephesus, he says you have left your first love but repent and do the first works. Go back. Friend, how is it in your life today? As you sit under the word of God Where are you? Where does the Word of God find you? I'm not asking what all has happened to you in your life, all the high points, all the revelations of God, all the times that God spoke to you, all the vows that you made before the Lord. I'm not asking about those. I'm asking about how it is now. How is it in your family? How is it in your life personally? Are your hands hanging down? Are your knees wobbling, shaking? Are things in disarray? Are things very far from where they should be? The Lord says, turn unto me. It's reformation time. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to go back to God. God would have his people back. And when we hear God's call and when we obey it, that involves a God ordained way. And there are really three things that we see here in our text that we can learn from here. Three steps in this God ordained way. And the first is that Jacob takes the reins back of his family. As we already noted, Jacob was far from in charge in the preceding chapters. The family was largely on autopilot, we might say. They were simply going day to day, and things were just happening. Things were out of control. But now, based on the word of God, and based on the call of God, Jacob gathers his family together once again. He calls his family back to the basics. And Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are from among you, that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. Notice Jacob, here, he speaks the word of God into his family. Despite all his lack, despite all that was the missing in his life up till this point, despite the fact that he had let go of the reins of his family, he doesn't continue that any longer. He takes the reins and he says, family, this is what God would have us to do. And that's where it needs to come to in our lives as well. Fathers, if we've let go of the reins of our household, if things are on autopilot, even to a little extent or a greater extent, God has made you the head of your household. God is calling you especially to account. Wives, you should pray for your husbands. You should encourage your husbands. But husbands, before God, The Lord will judge you, not only personally in the, in the great day of judgment, but also with respect to your calling to lead your family. And the same is true for elders, for pastors, for deacons, all those who have a role in the church of God. To take the reins and not let the reins slip away or let others take them, but to be a truly godly leader, to listen to God, to speak the word of God. And to be a prophet, priest, and king in your home, in a God-honoring, in a Christ-ordained, in a Christ-like way. That, first of all. The God-ordained way involves leaders stepping up in a godly way. But secondly, this God-ordained way involves renouncing false gods. This is the first thing that, that Jacob says after he calls his his household together. Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. The idols, they have to go. Now how did these idols come in to Jacob's family? We don't know. Calvin says on this passage, he says, idols will simply show up. They'll simply show up. And if you don't beat them back, and if you don't turn them away, And if you don't clean house and clean heart, idols will take over. It's not like you have to go out and find idols and bring them in and do all the work. They're just there. Our hearts are factories of idols. Just like that, there's an idol. And so we have to constantly diagnose what is an idol. An idol is everything that takes our affection and our commitment, our devotion to God, and replaces it with some thing, or some person, or some self. Anything that draws us and our hearts away from pure, single-eyed devotion to the Lord. Take your idols and get rid of them. The last few days we've been talking about various idols in our culture and in our families and in our lives. And and I pray, God, that this would have come across experientially in your heart. Don't negotiate with idols. Don't, Don't just put the idols on the fringes of your house, so to speak, or of your mind or of your heart. Get rid of them. Burn them. Remove them entirely. Confess your sins. Forsake your sins. Live lives of repentance. Don't do a half work. And challenge your whole family. Fathers. To be rid of idols. And to be constantly on our guard against idols. Take us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vine. When these things are small they need to go. Before they take over in our hearts and minds and and homes. Idols need to go. The third thing about this God-ordained way, besides taking the reins and getting rid of idols, there is this renewal. Cleanse yourselves, he says. Be clean and change your garments. Now, of course, this had a literal meaning in in Jacob's life and in his family's lives. Wash yourself. Get, Get ready for church, we would say. We're going to Bethel. We're going on a pilgrimage. We're going to the place where God originally talked to me. And I vowed that I would go back there and I never did. So get ready. Everyone clean themselves up. Clean up your lives and change your garments. And There is a literal application in in, in our lives as well. Fathers, when you tell your families to get ready for church, that involves something. It involves coming clean before the Lord, cleansing ourselves, and changing our clothes, getting ready, recognizing that when we come to the house of God, we are meeting with the Holy God. And we need to prepare our hearts, and our bodies, and our lives for that reality. We need to reckon with it. Now obviously someone can show up at church and they've just wandered. We had it some years ago in, in, in our church in Grand Rapids. Someone was on his way to the dollar store who never, never went to church and someone was walking to church from our church and said, hey, what are you doing today? How about you come to church? The man said, uh, sure, I was on my way to the dollar store but I'll, I'll come to church. He came to church, sat and he never left church again. Made confession of faith. Remarkable. Wonderful. Grace of God. And when that happens, when someone comes like that, you, you, don't, you don't judge them on the externals. You don't judge them on things like that. But, but if you know that you're meeting with a holy God, you come prepared. Mind, soul, and body. And, and spiritually speaking, when we take the whole message of Scripture... The Bible makes very clear that that cleansing is an inward cleansing that needs to take place through the washing of regeneration and through the pardon for sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we ought to bathe in that fountain open for sin and uncleanness again and again and again. Do you do so? Do you camp by Calvary? Do you need that cleansing of Jesus' blood Daily. Samuel Rutherford said, he said, I am so sick and I'm so prone to misery and to sickness that I need to live right next door to the doctor because I need that doctor every day. And he was speaking, of course, about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to stay close to the fountain because we need daily cleansing, moment by moment. And Jacob says here too, not only be clean, but he says, in effect, change your clothes, put off your old garments, change your garments and put on new garments. And this is the very language that the New Testament uses for the life of sanctification. Put off, concerning the old, the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put ye on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and holiness. And this is the whole of the Christian life in terms of sanctification. It's putting off sin and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and the new life and the spirit and all that the Lord calls us to. And that's a constant thing. There is indeed an initial positional sanctification. This happens in, in a one-time sort of way. But it's ongoing. It, it's a practice, it's a habit. This is how we ought to live every day. putting off and putting on the old man, that old character, those old tendencies, the fear of man, the lust, the pride. And so much else. Off, off, off. But not just content yourself with the negative, but put on Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. And this is the life that Jacob calls his family to. This is the life, fathers, that we need to call our wives and our our children to. A life that's oriented on God. A life of putting off and putting on. A life of of pardon, of peace that endures a life focused on, on Christ. It's time to go back to church. Not just this building, but the house of God. To God, where God dwells. And the amazing thing that happens when, when Jacob does so, he moves here from the region where he is, from Shechem, back to Bethel, about 28 miles. There's this little tribe. They're going up there to Bethel, north, in obedience to the word of God. And, and verse 5 is interesting, isn't it? And they journeyed, and the terror of God, or the fear of God, was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob, despite all that had gone on despite all the disastrous things that these this family had done and was known for the world took notice oh they're all cleaned up they've all made a change they're going to bethel house of god the fear of the lord Even the terror, it says here, the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about him. In other words, the world took notice when the church is the church, when it is what it's called to be. Of course, the world will tempt, the world will mock, the world will will take lots of issues with the church, and that shouldn't faze us. We ought to be what God, our Master, our Sovereign, would have us to be. And when that happens, some way, and to some extent, the world will at least have to acknowledge there's consistency. There's something different. There's something that radiates from these people. There's something that we don't have. And this is what the Lord has effected. Jacob would have never have done this were it not for the Lord who said, "Jacob, go back to Bethel." And so it is in our lives as well. How grateful we should be to the Lord who will not let His people go, though we oft have sinned against Him. Still, His grace and His love abide. And backsliding Christian here today, stir yourself up, but see the hand of God and see how the Lord is ready and willing to receive prodigals. We need that again and again, don't we? But then go. Don't just sit back. Don't just take these words, but act upon them through help that the Lord promises to give. And then, congregation, a a family with a heart towards God not only goes God's way, but secondly, it is focused on it's centered on God-honoring worship. Jacob's family arrives at Bethel. Something, isn't it? Some 30 years or so before this, Jacob was there all alone. A fugitive. A young man. Running away from his family. He had never been apart from his family. Running, running, running for his life. now he's back with his tribe his whole family and he's at Bethel which means the house of God he's back in God's courts he's back in the place of worship and indeed he worships he builds an altar verse 7 and to worship congregation means that we bow before the Lord our maker we kneel we reverence we ascribe worth to God and God alone. Worship is actually worth We ascribe worth, value, to God alone. God has all supremacy. And here we have the essence of what it means to be a family that has a heart for God. The essence of it. And there's three things here as well that we see in our text in terms of Jacob and his family at this time here at Bethel. Notice in verse 7 that he called the name of the place El Bethel. That's interesting. And children, just to give you a lesson, a brief lesson in Hebrew. Okay? So you can tell your parents that you now know a little bit of Hebrew. The word El, E-L, means God. And Beth means house. And El, like I just said, means God. So Beth-El means the house of God. el Bethel means the God of the house of God. And so what Jacob does here in this moment is he renames the place not Bethel, but El-Bethel. Meaning he is focused on the God of the house of God. He called the place El Bethel. And here's the point for us. Jacob here recovers a focus on God. On God. You know, your life can be oriented on church and yet not be oriented on God. There's a difference. So, How did you come up to church this morning? Did you come for church? Did you come for the people? For the minister? For the experience of church? Or did you come as a man or a woman who comes for God? For the God of the house of God? That's two different things. And if we're all honest, It happens, doesn't it, that we come to church and all we're thinking about is the people and the preacher and the forms, and the fellowship and all the rest of this. We sit down in the pews and then all of a sudden, through God's word and by his spirit, it all becomes about God. And then you feel so small because you realize that you weren't even looking for God. You weren't even seeking God. You weren't even focused on God. And, And here God came. And, and it's all about God. It's all about Him. So that if I go to church and I don't hear God's voice, then, then what has it been really? See, my soul longeth and thirsteth for God. Then I can't just live off of people. And I can't live off of what a minister has to say. As good as all those things are, but I need God. And that's what Jacob is focused on here. And that's what a family with a heart for God needs to be focused on, is on God. Not just rituals and rites and habits and customs and and whatever else, good as they may be, but that those things would focus us on God. That the means of grace would be the means of grace, the grace of God. We wouldn't simply be focused on means. But that we'd be focused on God. And this is really in all of life. Right? You all have a closet, I hope. And by that I mean a place where you pour out your heart before God. A place where you read your Bible and you, you pray to God. It's good to have that in, in the beginning of the day. To not go into your day without, without prayer. And, and hearing from God. But you know, you, you can have a closet and, and it's just something you do. You just read a few verses and you say a quick prayer and a few minutes later, you, you don't even remember what you've said or, or read. Or even if you do remember what you said or read, it's, it's, just, it's just a thing you've done. And I know how that goes. I know how that happens. And yet, congregation, we should not be satisfied with these things. We should be all about God. We should be about El, Beth, El, about the God of the house. My one request has been, we sang, and still this prayer I make, that I might dwell within the house of God. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what I need to be about. And this is where Jacob comes. He recovers a focus on God. And he recovers, secondly here, the blessing of God. Verse 9 to 11, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Paddan Aram and blessed him. God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel shall thy name be. And he called his name Israel. And maybe as you're reading this, you're you're thinking, if you know the previous history well, you say, well, Hadn't the Lord already changed his name from Jacob to Israel? You can read of that in chapter 32. Yes, the Lord had already changed his name. The Lord had done this work in his life. He was a new creature. But the Lord redoes it. The Lord reminds Jacob here of his new name, of his new identity that he had given him. And you know, that's a wonderful thing when the Lord does that. When the Lord converted you maybe years ago, and yet you backslid from Him, but you come under, you, you go back to Bethel, you go back to church in, in that real sense of the word, and it becomes all about God, and you hear God's voice in His Word speaking to you, and He, he calls you once again by that name He gave you maybe years ago. Christian. A new identity in Christ. And all of a sudden, you hear it fresh and it's real. And it's, that's it. I'm no longer my own, but I belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. I'm united to Him. I'm not my own. I'm not just old Jacob. I'm Israel, prince with God. I'm an heir. Of God and a joint heir with Christ. You see, that's, that's what you want. That's what you want about church. That's what church is all about is that you come to a place and it's all about God and it's about God from His Word reminding you of your new identity if you're a Christian, which is in Christ. And, and He seals it again to your heart and He impresses it once again upon you. And you leave this place and you, you say, You know, I, I had practically forgotten it. My life was not really what it should have been it wasn't living out of that new identity out of that new name that God gave me but God has spoken his identity over me once again and now I know it in a fresh way I am his and and he is mine I belong to my faithful savior Jesus Christ and and that's what a family with a heart for God is all about it's about the new identity. It's about all that Christ is for you personally and for your family. And and all that God is for you and for your family. I will be a God unto you and to your seed after you. In their generations for an everlasting covenant. It's all about God and it's all about that new identity. That God gives by his grace and Holy Spirit and calls us to live out in this world where we're a different people. A separate people. Not simply in our habits and what we do. Sure, those will be different too. But it's because internally there's been a change. Internally we are Christ's. And Christ is God's. And that comes with a whole new world. And thirdly, this... This God-honoring worship involves greater views of God than Jacob previously had. Notice verse 11, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew there is El Shaddai. So here's something else for you children in Hebrew. You're learning quite a bit of Hebrew. El Shaddai means God Almighty. And actually, It could even better be translated, God all-sufficient. God El Shaddai, who's all-sufficient. He's everything. He's all-sufficient for every need and circumstance, for every lack that I have. He more than can fill it up. In all my deficiencies as a Christian... As a father, as a family, God is more than sufficient. He's all sufficient for me. God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come from my loins." And God is talking to him there. And God is giving him a vision of the future of, of his family and his family for the future. And it's all in God. It's rooted in God. You know, when God comes to, to you fathers and mothers or, or young people and he says, you know, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to do something through you. However it may be. Even as a single the Lord can make you a great nation. You know that? As you spread the gospel and as you have a spiritual seed and as you work in Christ's kingdom and as you seek to serve the church, God can make you a great nation. But, but when he says that to you, you say, but how is that possible? I, I, I'm nobody. I, I'm I'm nothing. And look at me, look at my life. I've I've just been embroiled in sin and idolatry. My family is a mess. Idols. Our our reputation in the community is is awful. I'm going to be a nation. And and kings are going to come from me. And and my seed is going to be like this. How can it ever be? His name is El Shaddai. You can be that. Because he is himself. And when a family sees that, and when a family knows that, and when a family owns that, then a family is in its right place. And then you you, you might have lots of deficiencies. You might have lots of lack. And you may be very troubled. You may be going through great difficulties. And providence may seem to be all against you. But with God all sufficient, I can go and you can go because He's all sufficient. Whatever your need is, whatever will face you tomorrow or next week or next year or 50 years if He tarries from now, He's God all sufficient. That means He's never at a loss with you with your circumstances. He's an infinite reservoir of mercy and grace and love and strength and wisdom and patience and everything that you could ever need. All that I've lacked thy hand has provided. Great is the faithfulness of an all-sufficient God in Jesus Christ who comes so near, so close and says, I'm El Shaddai for you no matter what. And you see, if you can focus on that if you can see that and if you can be rooted and grounded in that then no matter what the Lord requires of you you can do it in His strength leaning on Him through faith in Him And you can also be, as we see here, lastly and briefly, you can have this God-honoring witness that you radiate as a family. This is what we see in verses 19 and following. Oh, it's true that Jacob's family still went through many griefs, many trials, many sorrows, much sin. You can read of this at the end of the chapter as well. And yet I want to show you just a little window of how this works out as Jacob leaves Bethel. We read already that Deborah died in verse 8. And then in verse 16, we have that Rachel, who was close to delivering here as she goes to Bethel and as she experiences all these things, the Lord was pleased to also give her in this moment. But as they went a little way to come to Ephrath, Rachel travail and she had hard labor it came to pass that when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her fear not for thou shalt have this son also it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died that she called his name Benoni but his father called him Benjamin. The fact that God is all-sufficient does not mean that you won't have trials, sorrows, griefs, or loss. The story makes it clear. But in your sorrows, griefs, cares, and difficulties... God all-sufficient can give you what you need to glorify Him. We've been made to glorify Him. We haven't been made here to have a a life of, of health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not why we're here. Be thankful for prosperity if God gives it to you, but we're here to glorify God. Young people, do you hear me? That's why you're here. That's why you are here, is to glorify God. When God comes to you and he says to you, I'm God all sufficient. He's not saying that doesn't mean that this week or next month or next year you won't have some great difficulty come into your life or perhaps you have it even right now. But what it does mean is that in that difficulty, God is all sufficient. He can give you whatever you need to glorify him in the midst of this difficulty and cross and adversity and what we see in Rachel is a negative example despite all that she could observe about God because she was right along with them God appearing God speaking God doing marvelous things yet in the moment and this seems to be the refrain of Rachel's life Rachel seems, sadly, to be all about herself. What she doesn't have. And, and, and so on. And it seems to be the way she died. It's very sad. Her last words that she speaks are, son of my affliction. She's focused on herself, my affliction, my grief. That's how she leaves this world. Those are the last syllables that she speaks, my grief, my affliction. And Jacob loved Rachel. But Jacob takes this little baby boy up in his arms having just lost his dear wife what a grief right on the heels of such a vision to lose your wife doesn't make sense, human sense but he takes his little boy and he looks at this little boy and is this boy supposed to go through life with this name son of my affliction is every day going to be a reminder of the bitterness, the grief of his mother and of the life that she lived in grief and sorrow and self-centeredness. And he loved Rachel. But in that moment, with a God who is all-sufficient, he takes this little boy and he says, Your name is not going to be Benoni. Your name is going to be Benjamin, son of my right hand, because I have an all-sufficient God who can turn evil for good. And who has promised that he will be all sufficient for me. in whatever befalls me. And whatever comes my way. That I can live out of his fatherly hand of providence. And I can trace all back to him. And he will give me strength for today. And hope regarding tomorrow. And he will be at my right hand. And because he's at my right hand. I will not fail. And I will not falter. Despite all the sin from my side. And so this child goes through life as a witness of what God, all-sufficient, can do even in the midst of great loss and grief and difficulty. And this congregation is what a family with a heart for God may do and must do. The world is watching you not just when things go well. The world is watching you when you lose your most precious possessions. The world is watching you when you lose your husband, when you lose your wife, when when in God's providence you lose a child or you have some other great difficulty come your way. Does your faith matter then? Does your God help you then? That's the test of a family with a heart for God to in your afflictions, even through the midst of tears and grief and confusion and doubts, to yet be able to say, my God does all things well. My God makes no mistake. My God gives me the bitter, but gives me also the sweet. And my God in Jesus Christ is El Shaddai. He's God all sufficient. Because if my God did not spare his own son, but gave him up to affliction, to grief, to a cross, to shame, and to misery, that I might be his Benjamin, that I might be, despite all that I deserve, that I might be a son of God, an heir of God, and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, that I might be a Benjamin a son of God's right hand, should I not praise Him? Should I not adore Him? Should I not live for Him? Should I not have a heart for Him? Should not my family have a heart for God? Children, all of you, have a heart for God because He's all-sufficient and He's worth serving. And this is the best life, no matter what comes your way. He's all-sufficient, church. He's all-sufficient for Christ's sake, no matter what happens. All glory to God. Amen. Gracious, good-doing, and almighty Lord God, Thou art truly all-sufficient. All that I've ever needed to glorify Thee, Thy hand has provided especially in thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom thou didst not spare, whom thou didst put to grief in order that we might be sons and daughters of God through him who loved us. Lord, apply thine own word unto our hearts, we pray. Speak into our lives, into our sin and shame and and our backsliding. May we hear thy voice even today. As thou dost call us to Bethel. Call us to thyself. Call us to a Godward focus and a Godward life. And a life also of witness. Lord, remember any and all who have more of a Rachel character, focused on self, and never beyond that. O God, wilt thou work as thou alone canst work. Wilt thou change it, Today, Will thou overwhelm such with thy all-sufficiency that no matter what their grief, their bitterness, their hardship in life, they would lose a focus on that and be caught up with thee, the worthy God. We thank thee, Lord, for this time that we could have together. We thank thee for the conference, thank thee for all that we could have heard and all the Times we could have faced one another and learned from one another. We thank thee, Lord, for the people here in this church. Thank thee for my brother, Dr. Kelderman. Do bless him this evening. Lord, go before him and use his words to draw many to thyself and to strengthen thy people for the journey that lies ahead. We live in evil days, but thou art on the throne and thou art all sufficient for each of thy people and for thy church. Lord, help us to know this and to believe this and to live out of it. And to thee shall be all the praise. We ask this in the pardon of every sin. In Jesus' name, amen.